All right, guys, welcome back to the Short Story Long Podcast, where we share the work and play of working class Midwestern millennials. I'm your host, Sam Derrickson, joined by my co-host, Andrew Dial. What's up, guys? And Mr. Cody Willenberg is back. Back again. And for the first time ever, we have the Short Story Long first ever phone call guest host, Jason Fallhaber. Say hello, Jason. What's going on? All right, so this episode is going to be all about King of the Hammers. Um, We're going to discuss all about it, anything you ever want to know, probably didn't want to know about it, and our experiences being involved in it. So um, don't really have anything new to bring to you guys. Jason, do you have anything new you'd like to share? Uh, You will, though, do you? I mean, it it is Dozer's birthday today. Yep, it is. And you wheeled New Year's Day, right? I did. I did wheel New Year's Day. I decided to uh, go out in uh, the uh, trail behind Gozer's house that we call Chicken Holler. And I took my kids and left my street tires on. And it was a muddy, muddy mess. And Gozer saw firsthand that I just, I got all kinds of crossed up and stuck in the mud. And I had made the call uh, early that day you were going to get stuck. And I think I was about dead on that you ended up stuck down in the back of a, when you sent me the Snapchat, you're like ready to go. And you had your street tires on. I was like, I Snapchat him back. I'm like, that's a bold move. Let's see if that pays off. Did not. Yeah. I've never wheeled the, uh, the, the Creek when it's, uh, when it's been wet. So I, I definitely thought, Oh, Surely, you know, being locked and just get some wheel speed going on and I'll be all right. Yep, not so much. So I I got it pretty crossed up. I don't think I've ever been that out of shape in that creek before. And I don't know, thanks to Dozer, you know, readjusting my winch line and a little bit of the uh, the go pedal, I got her straightened out and going back uh, down the road again. Jason, you know what has done that trail really wet before with ease, or, like quickly? I, I know, I know a razor. <laughs> a razor, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but see, at that point in time, it's almost like too easy, yeah, though. It'd be you know? boring then. Damn the luck. Uh, Cody even said, I see why Jeep guys like Jeeps, because you can take a five-acre property, and it'd be an all-day trail. <laughs> <laughs> this make is it true. one foot rocking, but make it wet, and all of a sudden now you have uh, extreme terrain. That's, this is true. This is true. So anyway, this episode is going to be all about King of the Hammers. So I guess, Dozer, would you like to give us a brief kind of description of what King of the Hammers is? Maybe like how you guys talked about going for even met me. I didn't even know you guys. Yeah, I'll totally interrupt you. Don't worry. (laughs) So uh, I don't have any facts or stats or anything like that, but King of the Hammers essentially started as... It's supposed to be the hardest one-day off-road race in the world. It has desert racing. So you always had desert racers or rock racers or rock crawlers. Rock crawlers. Mm -hmm. So they combined them, and you race through the desert and through the rocks. And one day, um, they've got all kind of rules. You know, unlike Baja, you can't have a chase vehicle. So back it up a little bit. The, The trail system in Johnson Valley is called the hammers and on a previous episode john Flowers sent us pictures of guys in like the 1930s out in this public land wheeling these model a trucks and stuff so it's been public land for decades and once rock crawlers became a thing these once impassable areas of the mountains became trails and they were known 
by their like claw hammer, sledgehammer, jackhammer, jackhammer, and they became known as the Hammer Trails. And one day in the early 2000s, a guy Dave Cole was it Dave Cole? Dave I don't Cole. think yep. Dave Cole was the guy. Anyway, Dave Cole was part. I think he he, he was, was part of the group. He was one of the racers. There was 13 racers the first year it ever happened. That's 08. And they were on like leaf yeah. springs, right? That was, that was in 08. But before this, they were like, it was a thing. Like buddies would just get together and go out and ride these trails. And at some point they were like, hey, I think it was like 06, 07. They're like, I bet I can do it faster than you. Like any good old boy will do. Like I can do it better than you. And then in 08, it was actually a sanctioned event. And that was the first actual the guy who did it the fastest was crowned king of the hammer trails. And who was the king the first year? Do we was know? it Shannon? Um, Jason, do you know? Uh, I can't remember. So anyway, uh, yeah, so this race has just grown and grown and grown every single year. They've added classes and added classes, and now it is legitimately known as the toughest one-day off-road race in the world. And it legitimately is, and, oh, Co- sure. and Cody can attest to that. So, do you remember back on Henrietta Street, we used to get into get into discussions. It was actually kind of heated discussions because I always said that Baja was where it was at, the Baja One Thousand. I remember you and I'd go back and forth because you always tell me, "Oh no, it's King of the Hammers," and I was like, "No, it's the Baja One thousand. And then, uh, yeah, I basically will agree now that it's definitely the Hammers. Yeah. So before I even knew Dozer and uh, and Sam or Jason, Sam had bought a pickup truck in sole purpose to drive out to King of the Hammers with their Jeeps. We were going to do it. I I bought a 2007 Dodge Ram 3500 Dually for the express purpose of being able to haul two or three Jeeps all the way to California. And this is back when, shoot, diesel fuel was four something dollars a gallon. And First time it was four something yeah, dollars a gallon. Which, Four dollars a gallon now is not as bad as four dollars a gallon back in aught nine, aught ten, or whatever it was. We would have been way over our head going out there with with our equipment for sure. Absolutely, knowing what we know now. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, it was. It's always been a dream of mine to do it, and I think it's probably a theme. <laughs> in my life where I have a dream of something and I get shot down, told it's stupid. And then a couple of years later, Cody Wilmberg comes to me and says, Hey, let's, let's do that thing that you've always dreamed of. And again, thinking he's crazy. And then we do it because we'll have to do another podcast on when you propose to your wife. Yeah. Cause that was my idea initially. And you turned it into something even crazier than I could have imagined. But yeah, we basically rode jet skis from Miami, Florida to Bimini, Bahamas. So anyway, that's another podcast. But yeah, so King of the Hammers. Um, let's. Uh, yeah, so I honestly did. I knew of King of the Hammers, but didn't really know exactly what it was. Um, I met Steve Mueller, um, a great friend of mine now through the razor industry, and he was going to race King of the Hammers. And what would have that been? Would that have been twenty? What the year we went out there when Steve raced? It would have been 19. That would have been 21. 21. 21. It was 21 because, because then I the raced COVID in 22. Test. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Yep. So 21. Steve was going to race King of the Hammers. He had asked uh, Sam and I to go out there and kind of crew chief with him because obviously this race is not something that you can do by yourself. Um, you need a crew of people to be able to complete this race. And Sam and I was like, heck yeah, we're going to do this. Uh, 
So we went out there and ended up inviting Dozer to come along with us and uh, went out there and watched Steve the first year race and really got our eyes opened up to it. We had no idea what it was about. And what I mean by that is, is like, you can primitive camp for a week, no problem. Primitive camping for two weeks in the middle of the desert. I mean, when I talk about the middle of the desert, the middle of the desert with 100,000 people is a whole nother level of like camping. Um, and then the weather out there, it goes from zero at night to 80s during the day. I remember the first year out there, the dog water bowl had froze solid overnight. And then that, that day we were in t-shirts, you know. Um, so the climate change out there is really unique and uh, how it works. Pretty pretty interesting terrain for sure because it's, it's a desert, but it's the high desert. So it doesn't get like Death Valley hot, even though it's out in California in the desert. It's higher elevation. It gets, well, in February, it gets, you know, 60, 70 degrees during the day, heat of the day, and well below freezing at night. Yeah, yep. So the first year we went out there, we just watched. We went out there and watched Steve, and uh, and we had a... Watched and helped. Well, watched and helped, and uh, did a lot of helping, that's for sure. Um, worked on his car the, the whole week. We, we worked on it, um, and I, I can't even attest to, to the amount of abuse... Um, when I say car, it's a, that's a race UTV um, out in the desert. I learned that they call them cars. You know, we call them razors here, side-by-sides here. Out in California, they call them cars. And that's kind of how that's picked up. And I'll be honest with you, since now two years out in California, I think I've defaulted to calling my razor a car all the time. Um, Sam's kind of now almost on the same transition. Have we, we I'm call getting it? there. You, you were fully on board for California lifestyle after that first oh, trip. Oh, man. You put Fox shocks on everything. <laughs> you were gonna, market <laughs> wheels on the trailer. Yes. I'm, I'm putting an extra axle on the side of my trailer. Like, yeah, so. we're calling this a car. Like, California is where it is at. And so. to be fair, to it be is. fair, at least for me, my Razor is nicer than every other car I own combined. Which <laughs> <laughs> doesn't take much. So out in California, no one has a pickup truck without aftermarket wheels and like Fox suspension or, you know, a gas reservoir shock of some sort because they bop them through the desert, you know, quite often. So they all are super built. And then the other thing that I don't even know have we, it's a DOT thing, isn't it? We figured the extra, the spare axle on the trailer. Yeah. That's so strange. in California, you're required to keep on board an extra axle and two, two wheels. So all the trailers out there got aftermarket fancy aluminum wheels on them, and they all always carry a spare axle. And the first time, I was like, why? That's so unique. But uh, I think I found out later that it's a requirement that they have to have them. Leave it to California. But I remember the first year out there, there was like an easy-go three-wheeled like, golf cart that they were hauling trash with had Fox Reservoirs on it. Yeah. I was like, we are not in Illinois anymore. Yeah. Well, rewind all the way back, all the way back to when we were first building, when I was still building my YJ, and I and some kind of psychology professor or somebody that's more into like things of this nature could probably speak into this, but I came up with a theory that everybody that we were talking to on Pirate 4x4 had way nicer rigs than us. And I didn't want to believe it was because I didn't have a very lucrative career. I chalked it up to, you know, living in the Midwest, you know, whatever our quote unquote living wage was, was nothing compared to like a big city, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Chicago. So the cost of living out there is higher. So the wages 
on average or higher. And then therefore in California where cost of living is the highest, the wages would be the highest, but the Fox reservoir shocks don't cost any different in Illinois than California. So if you have a percentage of your income that's disposable, it would go farther the higher income was. And that was just kind of how I defaulted to explain how I didn't have nice things and people on the internet did. Which there's probably something to that, honestly. And I mean, a Detroit locker back then, I remember thinking a Detroit locker is $500, whether you live in Illinois or California. Yep. So yeah, you know, that was kind of our introduction to King of the Hammers. And when we left um, Hammers in 21, I had already worked the deal with Steve that I was buying his Hammers car that he had raced that, that year. Um, and if anyone knows Steve, he, he has extremely nice equipment, probably the best of the best. And, uh, it was a one-year-old car. It only had, uh, basically hammers on it at the time. And Steve went like over and above, um, what the normal person would do to prep for that race. Now I can say that, uh, I've probably topped that, um, especially this year, uh, from what we did even last year going out there, kind of going over and above because I know what it what it's going up against. So I had worked the deal on basically while we were on the lake bed that I was buying that car once we got back home. So we could go out there in 21 and, and race. But in Steve, 22. Steve 22. kind of comes from the uh, aircraft background, right? So he used a lot of aircraft <laughs> techniques, you know, as far as like marking the fasteners and, yes. you know, lock tightening everything and safety wire where you can and, and it's just a whole different thing than what we were used to, just taking our stuff out on the weekend and yeah, eating on it. Exactly. So uh, we we came home and we bought it, and uh, it sat. It sat all year. I didn't even use it for the whole year. It had sat. And I remember uh, Steve, had, Steve had sold it in, in plans to b- replace it. Well, that was COVID. I mean, that was COVID time. Units yep. were Unit pricing was through the roof. Unit availability was like none. And he couldn't get another one. And he had asked me if he could borrow the car to race the Red Bull race that was in Tennessee. And, of course, I had known Steve a long time. And I trusted Steve. No big deal. Take it. Go race the Red Bull race. So he takes it, races the Red Bull race. He ended up hitting a tree because it was really muddy. Fixed what we thought at the time was the damage to the car. And um, about this time, it was about three to four weeks before we left for Hammers last year. We had pulled the car in, got the car down, it was, um, and, and pulled it in, and kind of going over it, and we realized that the frame was bent. Didn't somebody pull a tape measure side to side to like do an alignment, and they're like, yeah. oh, what, it was four inches? Yeah, the right? frame was extremely bent. Um, so we find this out three weeks prior to going out there to go race, and it was literally a 100-mile-an-hour game on to try to get the parts and the you know pieces to get the frame done and like shipping lost the frame and we had to end up driving i think to kansas city it was courtney nebraska was that where it was yeah so it shipped out of like southern wisconsin and it would have been closer for you to just go get it yes um so i had to drive to get the frame and then of course you know you're doing a frame on a on a machine we had already seen the frame where they had been and cracked and i wanted dozer to to kind of guess at the frame. And then, of course, if you're welding on a frame, you need to sandblast the powder coat. So it was just like a snowball effect of, like, since you was to make this thing as strong as we could in the in the short amount of time we had. And we, we pulled it off. I mean, it was... I think my wife powder coated that car 
on a Sunday night at about two in the morning. And then you guys picked it up the next morning and put it together. And then I think you left that next week. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, we left for California with very freshly assembled race car for sure. And, uh, went out there for our first time and, uh, drove out there and, uh, had a, had a blast. Uh, I had done a couple things different than what, than what Steve had set up as far as like pitting goes and camping. I had bought a, a pro awning for my stacker, which made honestly last year, I personally think amazing compared to what it could have been with the dust. Oh, for sure. It was worth whatever you spent on it. Yeah, the year that dozer, the first year we went, it had snowed the week before we got there. Like when we, I remember our pits were like muddy and on the lake bed, it's just solid dust. And the first year we were there, we were kind of spoiled with no. There was no dust at all. Yeah. And the second, last year was, and it's, I mean, it was so bad, you could hardly see. I mean, it was like a, a dense fog. Yeah. Um, so that was like 20, 24 seven, like the, like the whole day was nothing but dust. I think every morning one person uh, got up and they took the, uh, leaf blower and blew off all the machines that we had because there'd be, you know, a quarter inch of dust from the night just yep. sitting on them. And it didn't help that we were parked right along the edge of the fence and the road going right by would kick up dust every yep. vehicle. And I, I feel like the year we went out there and helped Steve, it was very windy because I remember me and Sam fighting over how to like hold the tent down over the machine. Like it was windy the whole time. And I don't feel like there was hardly any wind there. Yeah. Last year. Moving the dust. Yeah. So, you know, something that we need to talk about, like about this race is, is you, it's, it's a, it's a long distance endurance race through some of the nastiest rocks possible. I, I specifically remember last year thinking if this razor, it was a Can-Am that was in front of me. If this Can-Am was not in front of me right now, I do not think I would even think you could possibly drive this trail. Like if had I not seen someone doing it right in front of me, I would never be like, you can do that. And I'm a kind of guy and Sam will tell you this, like I'll find lines up and around things that most people don't even look at and see. And I was following this guy through there. Like, is it, were you even doing this? Is this, is this real life? Or like, it was such a gnarly, nasty terrain section that I didn't think it was even possible to drive. So, and they limit you guys on tire size, right? Yes. Yes, they do. So you were on like a 32. We were on a 32. Yep. I think the rule is 33 for your class, right? For my class, yep. So What, what size do the big cars run, like 30, 40s? 30, so the UTVs are 35s. This year the UTV is 37. The 4400 guys run 42s. Yeah, that's their limit. Nice. We're on the same trails, a lot of the same trails. You know, they take them on a, a few, basically one more rock loop than what we do. But where I was going with this is, is – it's it's a very very tough race as far as the machine goes and on on you physically, and it takes a team to do it. I mean, it takes a group of people to do it. There's three different remote pits. It takes a lot of tools, a lot of fuel, deep pit strategy, and a group of people. And when you talk about uh, having what did we have out there last year, was it eight people in total? It was a bunch. Yeah. I think we had eight people on our team in total. And you got to think you have eight people that have to sleep, have to eat, have to shower, have to, shower, have to use the restroom. Um, I, I specifically remember um, Dylan and my wife uh, going over how much water we needed to bring because you can't drink the water out of the camper because it's, you know, just 
probably could, but it's not something that's really recommended to do. Right. And uh, we had enough, the, the, the amount of cases of water we brought, I literally had to get my tractor with the bucket on it and scoop up the pallet of water and bring it over to the camper just before we could put it in there. And, and one thing I learned on my first year there was the air around you can suck so much moisture out of your skin that you get dehydrated. I remember being dizzy and headache, and I couldn't figure out why. And I sat down, cracked open a water bottle, and I was having a conversation. I looked down without even thinking about it. It was empty. Like I was that thirsty, I subconsciously drank a whole bottle of water, and I realized I'm dehydrated. <laughs> Didn't ever feel thirsty, but the air being 0% humidity and super high winds was sucking the moisture out of your skin. Hands get all dry cracked and yep. stuff. It's just, it's a whole, you know, environment that we're not used to being in here in the Midwest. So, so you know, where I was going with that is, is you have to, not only do you have to be able to race that super hard endurance race, but you have to be able to live in the desert for two weeks. And I'm out there for two and a half weeks. Uh, the, basically the first whole week you go out there, you just pre-run the course. They release the course early so you can pre-run it and kind of make GPS notes and mark it all out. So and then um, a lot of some, so some of the crew will go with me and we leave, we go out there on the 26th and others leave basically a week after that. And are out there for five days plus three days to get home kind of thing. So, you know, you have to live in the desert with 10 people for, you know, two weeks plus race the, you know, the hardest endurance race that's known in the United States, quite frankly, the world, because there's people come from all over the world to race that race. They do. They do. Well, I think what some what some people don't quite understand is that for the whole year, basically, that's just an empty lake bed. And then for that two weeks out of the year, basically a town erupts. That's what they call Hammertown. And there's about anything that you could, you know, imagine there. And that's where, you, you know, there's a hundred, I think, what did they say? A hundred thousand people this last year that were out there during those two weeks. Yeah, has 100,000 people. And Jason's right. I mean, they, they literally build the town in the middle of the desert to the point where they have a street sign. I mean, last year, our street address was 107 um, Holly Ify Avenue. That was our that was our address um, out there. And it is incredible what they do and how they're able to house as many people as they are, as many rigs as they are on this lake bed. And 100,000 people all come together for a two-week period of time. And it is just an absolutely amazing event. And so action-packed. There's so much stuff to do all the time from the Ultra 3 through the race to the Volkswagen Beetle race to the just the flat shenanigans that happen on a Chocolate Thunder and backdoor of, of an evening. And Yeah, there's there's always, you know, you're trying to prep for the race but also enjoy being out there. It's kind of a weird balance. Yep, dynamic. And that's something that uh, is super important to me. You know, we, I want to go out there and have fun and – Everyone that comes out there with me is a huge part of the team, and they're taking their time off work, and they want to go out there and have fun too. So I try to make it that way. We uh, we did a day last year where, like, we took the whole team pre-running, and honestly, that was my favorite day the whole the whole weekend was uh, just everyone that was on our team got to see the race course, and we ran it at a pretty good pace, and we had a good time. It, it gave think, me – go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, I think the people too is that there's, there's a lot, a lot of celebrities, you know, that – also run this race i remember i think it was it cody was it that drive like the first driver's meeting that you're like hey like what was it like was it jeremy mcgrath that was just standing over there next to us yep, jeremy mcgrath <laughs> and um 
Brian Deegan, and then, both. Yeah, and then I, then I think that like we went up to go get our wristbands, and there's Shannon Campbell, which I mean, he, I think he's like a three-time uh, King of the Hammers winner, and he's just standing there, and you just like walk up to those people and talk. I know that like uh, uh, Ian Johnson does the announcing, and I, I obviously I'm a big fan of watching his builds and whatnot, and. I know that my first year that you guys went out there, you know, Dozer went and took a picture with him. He was like, ha look what I, look who I met. So when I seen him, I remember like, I was like one of those like fanboyed out and Sam's like, Hey Ian, like you want to come over here, get your picture taken. He's like, sure. And this real cool dude. And all those people, I think, uh, was it Hubert? Was it Herbert, the redneck or whatever uh-huh. from uh, nitro circus? I remember you pointed out that one time, like, Hey, look, he's standing right over there. Uh, they're all racing. Like I said, it's it's almost like the who's who of off-road motorsports shows up to this event as well. Yeah, and then you got guys like, you know, Kyle Chaney, who, you know, basically just wood racing on the East Coast that'll show up and win the race, you know. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a super awesome event that they put on. And, um, you know, you kind of made a comment, Jason, about like it's like the one race of the year. And there's people that this is the only race they do all year long. And for me, it's almost that way. I do a couple other ones throughout the year, but this race alone will eat up a race budget for the whole year. I think you told me the story the other day how your wife, bless her heart, doesn't ever give you slack about the money you spend. I mean, and you're no, you're not shy or, or afraid of spending money on stuff, and she just never says a word, lets you do your thing, and you kind of pull the trigger on a bunch of race stuff all in one week and she had a slight problem with it <laughs> for the first time ever and you snapped us all about it like for the first time ever uh my wife had a problem with the credit card bill <laughs> yeah that had never happened was that last year or this year this, this year, year. yep yeah. um last year i kind of spread it out over you know over the month and this year i did it all in a week and uh i kind of threw one of the one of the final receipts in the koh file and i got the look if you know what i'm saying yeah so one thing I'll say, probably my favorite thing. Or anyway, go ahead. About going out there is just seeing the different terrain, and it gives me a deeper respect for you know seeing stuff on TV. And and everyone, including myself, is guilty of seeing something on TV and thinking, eh, anybody could do that. That's not that big a deal. And like Cody was saying, we went and pre-ran the course. And uh, what is uh, Cougar Buttes? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. is a is kind of a soft rolling. It almost is picturesque. Like just looks something like a teddy bear would go rock crawling on. And and you see on the on the the live feed or whatever, like oh they're in Cougar Buttes, no big deal. Well then you get out there and you drive it on it yourself, and you're way way bigger obstacle way more technical and doing it at a trail ride pace is complicated and then you compound that with a race pace and it gives you a completely different point of view as far as what these racers go through and you can extrapolate that out to any other form of motorsports and never mind the fact that it's cougar buttes is 30 miles from base camp one way I think right. it's longer than that, but well, <laughs> that's another thing I was going to I was going to bring up. You know, we're used to you know Eastern Tennessee mountains being four thousand foot tall at its absolute m- utmost peak, 
And out here in California, like that's a hill to these people. Yes. And I remember looking on the GPS, like, okay, we're here's base camp, remote pit ones, just right around this ridge. Like I'm like looking at the GPS, looking at the at the terrain with my eyes, and okay, so that mountain right over there on the other side of that mountain, that's that's remote pit one. Like, yep, no big deal. Okay, I'll get there in ten minutes. And I'm doing seventy mile an hour for thirty minutes, and I'm still not to that ridge. I'm thinking, where the hell am I? Well, it's 30 some miles away from base camp. And it's yeah. just, everything's just such a bigger scale out there. It's, it gives you new respect for like any kind of motorsports, like, like Baja 1000. You think like, Oh, these guys driving through the sand, like it's no big deal. They're doing a hundred mile an hour. It's whatever. But then you go out there and you drive 50 mile an hour through the same terrain. You're thinking double this speed. There's no way. And I remember we were pre-running and I don't remember who was with me. I think it was Randy maybe, but I went through that silt bed. You remember the silt yep, bed? I do. And I, I was like, what the hell just happened? And it, like, again, a new appreciation for the silt beds that these guys are going through. Like all the announcers are making a big deal about it on TV and then you actually hit one for yourself and you can't see anything. You can't breathe. There's 10 inches of silt in your lap because it just came over the whole machine. It's just. And that was, yeah, I was saying that's that one that right over you went over the hill, then you hit it at the bottom. You didn't even like realize you were in it until it was, it was too late. Yeah. I think Jason was driving. I was riding with him on that pre run yeah. day and it like came over the hood. I'm like, what is happening right now? Is this water? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it, it is just. Like Sam's saying, you you don't even do it justice until you're there and you kind of see it and experience it. And you know, when I we went out there for the first time, I knew we were gonna go back and race. And I'll, I'll be honest, last year I had one goal and one goal, and that was the finish. And we finished and finished that's, well. That's not true. You had two goals: finish and have fun. Yes, finish have and have fun. fun. Have yep. fun was one of the goals. And we did we both. did that. Yep. We definitely did that. Uh, we didn't have a whole bunch of fun that first year out there. We did a lot of working um, on Steve's car. It had a, some issues and stuff, and uh, we didn't we didn't have we had a good time, but nothing like we had last year. And then you know when you go out and finish the race on top of it, it's just a whole other high of uh, of what we experienced. So, um, so do we want to recap a little bit of last year and then kind of look forward yeah. to how maybe your goals have changed for this year and and where you're at. Yeah, so I was, and, yeah, we can definitely do that. If anyone has anything to say, chime in on the, as I talk right, about this. So I guess we'll start with, since we had Jason call in, we got to talk about getting out there. So Cody, the whole, the whole reason he's we, on the phone call right now, we had we had thrashed uh, everybody involved, especially Cody's team at CW, on getting the car ready. They pulled out of town, headed headed out there. Uh, just you and Peyton went out there. You kind of took your time out there, I believe. Yep, we took our time getting out there. And You uh, went with Randy and Nate, too, yeah, right? Yep, yep, yeah, Randy and Nate. Yeah, and you maybe had even left a little later than you wanted, uh, but you wanted to take your time out there. So you We did leave later than we wanted because the car wasn't together yet. Yes, you are and, correct. And you, weren't, you, know, you, didn't, you wanted to go early enough so you weren't, weren't wore out from the drive when you got out there. You'd get everything set up. Didn't you go uh, to Vegas? We, we did go to Vegas. So it was... It was really nice to have like a week break before we followed you out there, kind of recoup, spend some time with the family and stuff. And then, Dozer's like, Cody's gone, I get a week off. Because <laughs> Dozer was deeply involved with the assembly of the car because um, of the Ben Frank situation we experienced. Yeah, when when we had the metal shop going full tilt, uh, 
I did a lot of reinforcing, making a lot of parts, making brackets to hold axle shafts and stuff. Powder coated everything. And my wife did the powder coating. Like say two in the morning, we were powder coating stuff on a Sunday. Um, it was it was Bless super heart. super cool to be part of. I don't know how I talked her into it, but I guess maybe she got roped into the coolness too. I don't know. Um, but uh, so Sam and Jason, we wanted to invite Jason because. We had experienced it the year before. We knew Jason as a wheeling friend would experience it, and we knew he would be good help out there. Yeah, and Dozer had called me and understand, like, you know, most of the time, like, you know, anyone's welcome, right? The more the merrier. But when you're in the desert for that amount of time with certain sleeping arrangements, one person coming or not coming can make or break a whole plan that you have currently going on. So, Jason kind of coming was an afterthought. Dozer had called me, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, sure, we'll uh, we'll kind of make it work. And, and what you didn't discuss is, I mean, even like you talked about the water and stuff, but even down to the meal planning, you know, three meals a day times X number of people times X number of days, like we had already gone grocery shopping. Yeah. We had everything purchased, like however many gallons of milk and loaves you know, of bread. And just and, to put it in, I don't know if Cody even wants me mentioning this. We might have to blank this out, but I think you figured up between water and fuel, you had 5,000 pounds. Yes. And yes. just water and fuel for us to survive on the lake. Yep. Bed. You know, when you start talking about now you got to haul that across the country along with spare parts, spare tires, you know, as many vehicles you could possibly smash in a trailer because you need as many support vehicles out there as you can, as you can have. Extra fuel for the vehicles while you're out there. Extra gin fuel. Like, it's a lot of planning and a lot of deep uh tetris as far as things go with what you're bringing in space and because it's a 45 minute drive to the nearest gas station to get literally right. anything and then another 15 minutes to a dollar general yeah and i i mean you took a machine part of the way apart to get it yes. in the trailer to fit yep exactly we did you know because that's what it took to be able to take that one extra vehicle in that trailer out there so we we flew out of st louis st louis and we flew yep. to Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, which is the total wrong direction. Yep. And when we got to Atlanta, Georgia, we found out that our flight from to Atlanta to Palm Springs was canceled. I'm going to pause right there. So we had been out, we had struggled to get out there. We got there. We had been pre-running. We blew an engine up in the race car two days prior to the arrival of your Same, crew of my of my crew yep uh, uh dylan was there too yep. so it was four of us and dylan was my my main mechanic at cw um and he was who i needed to help me put the engine in because the people at the lake bed at the time had never removed or installed an engine before and i needed dylan and we had kind of planned our days around the we blew the engine up we had a, we had a day of kind of just doing nothing out there waiting for the my crew to arrive to Shipping the engine. The, yeah, we had the next to ship the engine. We we had got the engine the day before the crew was going to arrive. They were supposed to arrive at like eleven in the afternoon, eleven you know eleven o'clock the next the following morning. And which when you ship stuff to KOH, you ship it to like a gas station, right, or something like that. Like ah, oh, it's like Jimmy Ship It Center or something like that. <laughs> so some dude out in the middle of the desert gets packages for people on the lake bed and you can go and pick them up and he charges you a dollar or two. It's he pretty. basically does it like by like if the package weighs 20 pounds, it's like 10 cents a pound, but uh, everyone just tips him. It's he, you know, he's a super great guy. He's in off-roading and he, 
obviously needs to be compensated for keeping it organized and stuff, but uh, he probably does really, really well from like, I think we tipped him 50 bucks, you know, for kind of getting our, letting us ship our engine to him and he held it and we met him and got it picked up. So, so we I, think, got... I think you need to mention too that uh, Dylan had to go by the shop before oh, yes. we, uh, who even left to bring some spare parts still got the cops and then called on him. had to take those on the airplane. So that was, we left at three in the morning. So Dylan was in CW at around three in the morning. I think it was ga- a gasket kit uh-huh. and he got a gasket kit out of, out of inventory and someone called the cops on him, thought he was breaking in. So Dylan <laughs> gets pulled over before he even leave town. Yeah. Getting spare parts to check on the airplane to get out to California to us. So we get to Georgia, our flight's canceled. I'll let Jason take it from here. Let it, let his storytelling take over. <laughs> well, we, uh, the, the funny thing is my mom was let, said, hey, like when you get to Atlanta, send me a text message. Just let me know that you made it. We're like literally walking down the, uh, the jetway. And like, I was like, hey, like made it to Atlanta. She's like, well, is your connecting flight canceled? And I was like, nah, not that I know of. She goes, well, I, I double checked because I think it is. I was like, okay. So I, I think I asked Dozer and Sam, I was like, is our connecting flight canceled? They're like, well, I don't know. Let's go see. No, so then, no. What's that? I'm just responding <laughs> to what you said. So then we so we go look at the board, and then Dozer goes, yep, Palm Springs canceled. Sam's like, no way. Like, I don't believe it. Sure enough, looks up there, Palm Springs canceled. So then, so of course, this at that is... point in time, there's the four of us like, uh, like, what do we do? And I think – Someone made the comment like, "Well, I need an adult right now." So, <laughs> so something to keep so Sam, Sam walks up to like the wheelchair hey, hang on, hang on, place. Like, hang on, hang on, like, hang on. Like, hey, what's hold that? on. Yeah, hang on. So <laughs> something my to keep. got canceled. What do I? What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? They're like, "Well, you need to go down to like customer service, like ten gates down that way." All right. So okay, time out. Yeah, time out. Go ahead, Cody. So something to keep in mind here is they left St. Louis, I think, at – it was early. What was your flight out? Like before 6 a.m., like 5.45. So it's we're two hours behind California time, right? Yeah, but Atlanta's an hour ahead. Atlanta's a, so it, it was like 3 or 4 in the morning when my phone rings in Johnson. I'm in bed. My phone rings and after being up all day doing motor stuff after being up. Yeah. And Sam says my flight's canceled. And I'm just like, at that point, super like, what are you can't, this is, this can't even be happening because we dealt with a bent frame. We got that fixed. We got to California. We blew up an engine. We got an engine here. Okay. My team's going to show up the next day. And I get a phone call from Sam at like 4 a.m. Our flight's canceled. So now Jason, go, go ahead again from that point. Oh, so, so then we, of course we're like, so we start walking down to the uh, customer service and they're like, so I think Sam took the lead on that. And meanwhile, he was, you know, texting Cody, telling him, Hey, like, what do we do? And so I think Cody and Peyton were trying to formulate a plan, like, all right, like, what do we do? Like, how do we get them here and whatnot? And then uh, I think, like, right about the time that it was our turn to go talk to the, uh, Cause, the representative. Because logistically, the, because Palm Springs is, like, 45 minutes, an hour away from Johnson Valley, and we had scheduled someone to come pick us up. But well, I think Darnell was supposed to fly into Palm Springs. People. We were supposed to all meet there and then all go to the uh the lake bed together and um so so as cody's texting sam telling him like hey like i think he said hey 
why don't you wind up, see if you can book a flight to LAX and then take a car or rent a car at LAX and then drive down to Palm Springs. Well, the lady starts bleep blooping on the computer. And then all of a sudden she comes up, it's like, well, I have a flight into Ontario. And without hesitation, Sam just goes, like, I don't have my passport. And like, we all just like, like, what, what? And then she's like, Ontario, California, which later on we found out that like Ontario, California, I think is about halfway in between LAX and Palm Springs. And we wound up passing that on our way to the, uh, you know, in the rental car. So note to self, if you ever need to fly or get flight gets canceled to Palm Springs, you can fly into Ontario. Um, so then say, I think. I will say flying into LAX, two things got to happen is I got to see the Pacific Ocean, which I've never seen in my life, and Jason got to play the Miley Cyrus song when we got off. <laughs> As we were walking down the jetway, yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, I think, yeah, I think I was joking around with Sam about that. So, of course, as soon as we got into the jetway, Sam starts playing it. And then, uh, and then I think we were walking out, and we were going down the escalator to go outside to go get on the, uh, the bus to go to the rental car place. Someone else was playing it, too. Cool story, bro. So anyway, uh, yeah. In hindsight, if you ever get the chance to drive in Los Angeles, don't. Don't. <laughs> Doubly, yeah, if the, Sam is driving the, the, a clap out. I say the double vehicle. white lines are in the are meant you know in between the carpool lane and the normal lane. You're not supposed to cross over those, and uh, but Sam didn't do that. So words to live by: if you see a cop doing it, you can do it too. And the cops were doing it, so I did it. So yeah, they finally uh, they finally got to Palm Springs where um, I ended up renting them a car from LAX to Palm Springs, so then we could pick them back up at Palm Springs because Steve's wife flew into Palm Steve's Springs. Wife right. was flew into Palm Springs and her flight was not canceled, so she left after you guys, but got to Johnson Valley before you. That was guys. Like an hour and a half before us. Yeah. That was a long day. Um, Not to mention, hey, we didn't bring up the point you got COVID and like all of us got COVID before we went yeah, out there. Too. Right before we went out there. Yeah. So it was uh, not a smooth journey getting to uh, Johnson Valley. So by the time they got there, it was, I mean, it was essentially the day was spent at that point. And Dylan had been up for, you know, nearly 20 hours. And I'm over here pushing him to try to get this engine in. And we ended up not getting the engine in that, that day. But you guys did get the engine in that, that following day so we could uh, kind of continue pre-running and, and do some shock testing, you know, from the, from there forward. So, yeah, then it – I mean, then it just came down to uh, – we got the car ready, got it tested. It seemed like half the time you guys spent bleeding coolant, yeah. you know, bleeding air out of, you know, out of it and stuff. That ended up being kind of a separate issue, but it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, we went through a lot, a lot of axle shafts, that's for sure. Between all the rigs that were out there, yeah. Yeah. We we had a lot of fun pre-running, getting ready. You know, we were out there with some of your best friends. Um, came down to race day, and like say, the, the idea was to finish and have fun, and everybody had um, the amount of planning on what tools and who goes to what pit in what order because you, there's certain safety things you have to have at each pit that are very expensive. So – you know, you don't have one extra part of everything and you don't have enough, you know, fueling aprons for every pit. So you really got to be careful who goes where with what parts, what knowledge and what tools. Yeah. And that's something, you know, that that is, again, just so hard to explain um, to listeners that don't 
know or experience it firsthand is like there is such deep planning that goes into um, how far can we go before we get fuel? Where does the fuel need to be? And for us, we're out there by ourselves. You know, a lot of these guys, these teams will do this with two or three racers, and that makes it a little bit easier because you can kind of spread out your, your pitting a little bit better. and um, Way you know, bigger crews. We did have Veronica. Yeah. Um, did help kind of sharing stuff. You know, uh, like this team, you guys bring a welder, and we're going to bring in the fuel things and, and things like that. So we we didn't really have that. And Veronica was there last year and helped out a lot, but we don't have that at all this year. We're going out there solely by ourselves. But Is she racing this year? Or no, no, she's not, unfortunately. Okay. I wish she was. But, uh, you know, that that's a lot to go with as you know as a, as a team to be able to have to supply everything for you is where you go out there with you know two or three racers on a team a lot of the like the individual racers kind of split up and bring what they're bringing so I know anyone that, I know wants the, the strategy race. for me was something when i went out there like i never really like put that much thought into it and then it's like okay then i think we divided up like this person this person they're going to stay at the start of the race then you know these people are going to go on ahead and get out there remote pit one and ready to go. And there's just, there's so much planning that's involved with, you know, trying to set up the remote pits that, you know, a normal person wouldn't even really think about. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, and where I was going with that is like, if anyone wants to go race KOH and uh, need someone to go out there with, I would love to share some of the expenses and the the team members and stuff uh, going into 24. If we go racing in the 24 season, we'll see. Time will tell, I guess, huh? I thought the first year was one and done, so when you were going to do it a second year, I thought, oh, he's hooked now. Well, I remember going out there, Peyton asked you, are we doing this next year? And you said, ask me on the way home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if – I don't know if – so basically the, the climax of the race was at the very end. Uh, Cody, in the middle of it, had some tire troubles that about ate him up, and you, you got the tire changed by – yeah, basically digging a hole under the machine to so change the tire. I had I had popped a tire in Turkey Claw, um, a section I had pre-ran a lot, and I I knew I was a good driver in the rocks, and I uh, knew that was a, a spot for me to shine. And Turkey Claw was a big conversation of the race. It was going to be a big make or break passing area and big bottleneck. It's like big, a, yeah, pinch point, big bottleneck. So when I got well, into I think Turkey, they should, they should say that like this the 2022 KOH was the first time where they started off in the rocks like what was it like a mile or two out of Hammertown you were already putting people in the rocks and that was actually like a big debate for a lot of the desert racers that were not real happy with that yeah exactly you know we pre-ran that a lot probably we pre-ran that more than anything so when I got in that section I got a little bit confident and uh kind of overdrove the car and uh popped a tire and I waited to stop and change the tire until we got out in the desert, right, where it's nice and flat. Well, what I wasn't thinking when that happened was, is the sand out there, when you step into it, like, it's not like you stand on top of it like you're, you know, on the beach. You step down into it, and it goes to your ankles. It is some deep, uh, powdery uh, sand. And we had a, a, a super high-end Pro Eagle jack that worked off, like, CO2 cartridges, and it just kept burying the jack in the sand. And no matter what we did, it just kept burying the jack in the sand to the point where, like, I ran out of CO2 cartridges to operate the jack. So I was stuck left with digging a hole. So I basically dug a three-foot hole in the sand um, to get the tire where it would come off the machine and put back on the machine. And that happened early in the race. I mean, that happened early, early in and uh, set us back yep. about 45 minutes um, 
to to the race overall. See, that was I think that was your second time through Turkey Claw, and you were not supposed to make a uh, a stop at Remote Pit One. You know, it was supposed to be basically a touch and go and go back, but we had to, you know, put a spare tire on there because at that point in time that tire was flat. Yep. And I know that like race communications out there i know last year they are this past year were not the greatest and it was hard to kind of understand what exactly you needed yeah so what jason's talking about there is is there's a there's comms in the car that allow the driver and passenger to communicate and then plus the driver and passenger both have the ability to, to talk out of the car um through a, a two-way radio into uh, the pit area and, and communicate with the pit we had experienced a lot of radio pro radio radio troubles not knowing we were going to experience out there and with the Sam and Jason or whoever was at that first pit didn't really know what we needed. And all we really wanted was a spare tire off new tire on. And we wanted a new spare CO2 cartridge. CO2, CO2 cartridges so we could change a tire again if we needed to. And thankfully we didn't have to the, from that point on up until the, about the last five miles of the race was drama free. I mean, it was, it was good. We uh, didn't experience any troubles. It was kind of picture perfect. Um, one of the big hard obstacles that was kind of a focal point of the race, um, there was a guy broke at the bottom of it and the, in the, in the rules, you can winch to a competitor. That's the, the rules say you can use the competitor as a winch point. And so it, uh, it was Kyle from, um, Badlands, which was, uh, someone we knew really well and, uh, definitely a, a shop friend of ours, um, and we hooked our winch to the back of their machine. They were broke down at the bottom. Of it. They were currently being winched by Recovery. So Recovery ended up winching me and him both up over one of the hardest focal point obstacles of the, of the day. And I remember when we got to the top of that, I thought, that's when I thought, we're going to finish this race. Like we had now made it three quarters of the way in. We had just went over the hardest obstacle there was by pure luck being winched over by recovery because we could winch to a competitor, which the competitor happened to be winching to recovery. So uh, it just completely luck was in our favor to get, to get, get to that point. And I guess, I guess you should, you should say too, that, you know, you know, even though we had the radios, but then there, there also is a, uh, the live tracker that is mounted inside of the race car so that, you know, you could pull up on the phone and see, you know, we could see what your progress was, where you were, and, uh, you know, if you were moving or if not, because I think, uh, you know, every so often it would send a signal out, you know, if the vehicle was stopped or if you were moving. And, uh, you know, so we could kind of track your progress that way as well. Yeah. So we kind of got up over that last hard obstacle. And I was like, at that point, I realized, like, we're going to finish this race. I mean, it's from here on out. There's nothing super technical in front of us. The car's in really, really good shape. We're going to finish this race. And, uh, we got less than five miles from the finish line, and I think everyone was at this point at RP2, and yep. you had sent half the people back to say, hey, these guys are going to drive this thing across the finish line. Why don't you guys go watch them finish? We'll keep a very select few people here just in case for the something was to happen. We're here to help. And Right, because we, when you came through Remote Pit 2 the second time, you, we weren't going to be able to beat you to see you finish because – uh, how much faster you yeah. drove yep. and how close we were to the finish line. So, you know, we were coming up into RP2 for the second time, and that was going to be the home run. And I remember we were in this, a section. It wasn't really hard at all, and I just lost steering. The steering just completely went away. And I, I knew at that point we had broke something. 
And it was super defeating to me because it's like, what did we just break? We're this close to the finish line and we're, we're, we're stopped. So I'd got out of the car to see what it was. And what broke was something that I knew going out there, I didn't agree with the way the design was. Uh, we had run an aftermarket company's tie rods and what they wanted us to do was TIG weld the pin in the knuckle single shear style. Um, and I didn't like that because if the pin broke, like it did, you could no longer replace it with just a bolt because now it's welded to the knuckle. So the knuckle had to be replaced itself. So I remember back like a half a mile up the trail, there was a tire that had someone... Time out. Because you radioed us and said, we're done. Like, this is it. Everybody call it a day. Not yet. I I went. I tried the tire thing first. Okay. So I remember about a half mile up the trail, there was a tire that someone had used to like start a fire or something. Like maybe someone wreck riding, they they'd used the tire and they was burnt. So the only thing that was left on the ground was like burnt rock and the cords of the tire. And I thought I could use the wire to wire the tie rod together to get me going. Okay. And I did that two or three different times and the wire was so rusty and it was hot and it was breaking. And after getting in and out of the car, making it 15 foot, 20 foot, 30 foot, um, breaking, 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 there was a, there was a one last, I would not even call it a big obstacle, but it was a really big obstacle with, with three wheels, I guess you could say in front of us. And I knew there was no way we could make it up and over that with, the broken tie rod like it was. And I had radioed into those guys and said, well, guys, we gave it a hell of a run, but we're done. The tie rod is broke. It cannot be fixed, and we're done. At this point, I remember sitting on the ground. You know, my legs were underneath the car. Uh, they was kind of on some rocks, so I was like almost eye level with it. And I was looking at the way it was welded and the way it was broke. And I had told Steve, give me a 19 millimeter wrench. And I put the wrench on the nut side of it where it was welded. And I grabbed the arms with my hand, put my feet on the wrench, and I just pushed. And what I was trying to do was shear the bolt off. I was trying to break the bolt, break the weld. And it broke. And I remember I slammed my knees against the arm, thinking the wrench slipped off. And when I looked up, when I got, you know, my, my, Barry's back from kind of being, you know, thrown around the machine, breaking that loose. I looked up and I had seen the wrench was laying by the back tire with the broken stud stuck in it. It had broke the weld out of it. So at that point, now we could put a bolt back in it. And we had, we had some extra hardware with us. We had put just a, I don't even know, it was like a 10 millimeter hole. We probably put like an eight millimeter bolt in it. It's a bolt too small for the hole, but we could steer again. So all of a sudden, I went from basically like those guys packing up tent to like come. Someone was already headed to come get us, right? Yeah. Um, to well, come. I think you were, you were literally just like I think on the other side of the uh, the hill where we were sitting. Like we could see you on the live tracker, and like we saw that you weren't moving. And I think that we, when we kind of heard what was going on, we laid everything out that we thought we possibly would need to fix this thing. Well, Dylan, and I remember like going back and forth with the radio chatter, and I think. Once you broke that like bolt free, I think that like you were just like screaming on the radio at that point in time. Previous and, like, to this, like, well, Dylan was was talking on the radio, like giving you a pep talk. Like, oh yeah, you I come remember this that. far, like don't give up. 
And once you finally got it done, like all we heard over the radio was just like screeching and yelling, like slow down what's going like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, whoa, like, what are you talking about? And you were like, get us a knuckle and this and this and this and this. We're on our way to RP2. Be ready for us. And, and so we freaking laid everything out in order, like a exploded diagram of what was to come and everything we could possibly need, every wrench, every socket, every ratchet, ready to rock and roll. And Jason came in time to shine. So you tell this part of the story, Jason. Oh, they, like that. When they rolled in, this is probably like my, to see them like crest over the hill, which was like right behind us was probably like, it was one of those moments like it about made you want to cry after like all that they had gone through to see them. Like, yes. Like, but at that point in time, we're like, we're going to finish this damn thing. And we brought them in and we had everything laid out. And I think Dozer took a, has a video and I think while well, one person was jacking up, another person was pulling the tire off. Another, once the tire was off, another person quickly put the socket on there. We pulled the uh, the axle nut off. And I, th- I think, what was it like? It was within five or 10 minutes. We had the whole spindle change, had a new tie rod put on there. And I mean, I think the Nate was over there refueling. And I mean, they were ready to go in like no time flat. Like it was like legit NASCAR pit crew style. Like we were ready to go. I think we should say too, is that at that point in time, we didn't even know if we were going to actually finish the race at that point because By the all the race time. officials had left RP2. And, like, we asked one dude, like, hey, like, are we going to be able to get an official time? And he's like, I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, and so we're like, no, we came this far. Like, don't even – I think we said don't even tell him. Like, yeah, you, just tell him – send him home. Yeah, you guys didn't tell us that that uh, there was a chance that we had timed out. So that they only give you a certain amount of time to complete the race – and each uh, checkpoint at each checkpoint and you guys all were under the understanding that we had timed out already but you did not tell us that and thank you for not telling us that but uh we we actually made it through the checkpoint um the last checkpoint by the certain time we needed to so we were we were able to finish and uh you know and, and qualify but going back to Jason kind of talking about how picture perfect the repair went. That goes back to like bringing the right people and having the right people on your team going out there. Like it, it takes a very strong team to be able to do that and to work together in those high stress situations and, uh, you know, everyone stay, stay together and like Dylan kind of pep talking me up. And then some people, you know, keep keeping everybody's morales high and attitudes correct. It, that was, it's a huge portion of that race. And we, uh, we left RP two and, drove it all the way down and then flew across the finish line. And uh, I'll tell you, man, I remember coming in the circle, the the last little circle track section, kind of where everyone's watching and the lights were on and the checkered flag guys out there. Like I just had chills from the top and bottom to the bottom. Like we just finished King of the Hammers, our very first time ever out here. We finished that race and there's guys been going for six years and have never completed the race. And there's a huge percentage of people that start that never finish. So it didn't like, uh, uh, like 120 people. I think it was 100, 136 started, 33 yeah. finished. So that's yeah in the UTV class. In the UTV class, yep. And I, I know that we got we got lucky enough that when we sent you guys uh, through RP2, we had razors, so we made it back to camp, parked the razor at our camp, and they were like, "We're gonna walk over to the finish line." And literally, like the timing could not have been perfect. We literally walked up to the finish line. And, like, on the short course, we saw headlights. We're like, huh, I wonder who's finishing. And, like, at that point in time, you guys pulled across the line. 
Yep, it was uh, it was a pretty epic moment, and I kind of want to circle back and talk to about what I found out, you know, later. You know, we finished and uh, we we had a great time that night. We kind of celebrated and tore down camp and packed up, and we had all been in the desert for two weeks, and we were out of propane, so we then we were out of heat, out of water. Like we decided to kind of roll out of out of camp that evening, but as kind of fast forward to getting the car home and uh, kind of un- unpacking the car. And I, I first put the car up in the rafters at the shop, kind of upstairs. I got a, like a loft over our parts room. I took the wheels and tires off it and up there it sat, you know, for most of the summer this summer. And when I got the car down, I kind of got looking over it. We were so close to not finishing that race in so many different ways. Uh, we actually broke an upper shock bolt. So the upper shock was held on with just being wedged into the frame. It kind of beat the frame up a little bit. Um, and then the very first race we took it to after King of the Hammers, we experienced a whole bunch of uh, wiring problems. And what happened was, is all the solder connections on all the wiring harness, um, on all the accessories that were added, basically we were just pulling apart, like croating inside the harness and pulling apart. Uh, there was a, the fan is like what they consider like a smart fan. It kind of, um, cools off of the ECU temperature, like how fast it spins. It was, it was acting up. So the car was overheating. So. We were like a half a mile away from not finishing KOH last year. So as we prep for this. I was saying, I think it was you that said that uh, just have duct tape ready at RP2 because after the, the rock section that you go through, he's like, I'm pretty sure that the doors aren't going to be on this thing anymore. <laughs> and surprisingly, they still were. I yeah. think the first year after they, they Steve rolled it the first year and we did have to duct tape and, and zip tie the doors back onto it. Yep. We you sure have did. to have doors to legally run. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, and as we kind of come into, so kind of backing up a little bit, uh, going into 21, we, we did it a hundred percent out of my pocket. Uh, we had a, a, a tire sponsor, um, AMS tire step stepped up and sponsored and Jimmy White's a super great guy. And uh, I've been running their products for years. Um, already uh, on on recreational stuff and pushed their products hard through the shop, but he had stepped up and uh, got us some tires to go out to King of the Hammers, and uh, that's we that's all we went out there with was just literally a, a, a some some free tires and that was it. And after finishing that race, you know that's a huge feat in itself. Uh, going into the twenty two season, we're building a stronger car this year. We're bringing the same car back out there. This will be its third year out there. Uh, we are building the car a little stronger than it was before, but it is going to be heavier. So you know. We're uh, we're gaining some strength, but we are uh, we are also adding some weight. Um, Steve did ride with me last year. He because he had raced it the previous year, so it was a it was a great dynamic for us. This year, Randy Dosenbrock is riding with me. Um, if anyone knows Steve and Randy, they're two very very different people, and Sam might be able to touch a little bit on like how much different they are um, and what that's going to mean for me in the driver's seat. So, I I love both of those guys a bunch. They're both you know, super passionate about their specific hobbies, but Randy's a Jeep guy and uh, Steve is very, like we were talking about before, he's very calculated, very methodical and he takes extremely detailed notes in the GPS and he is very, very good at having a solution to every, you know, possible issue that may arise or may never arise, but he's got a solution for it. And Randy's a lot like Cody in that he just kind of rolls with the punches and, and deals with stuff as it arises because in the Jeep world, that's what we're used to. You know, you just go out and give it your all and then whatever breaks, you deal with it at that point. And trying to make a happy medium between that 
is uh, is is an interesting dynamic, and I haven't had the opportunity to be around you guys while you're actually driver co-driver right now. But I know Randy's doing a lot of work trying to gain more of that technical knowledge on the GPS and stuff to be able to help you out there because it's a real thing, you know when you know when you're in a recreational type of event and you're going through these high speed what we quote unquote high speed desert runs in the 50 to 60 mile an hour range, it's a lot to process. And then you crank on another 15, 20 miles an hour on top of that stuff comes at you real fast. Yeah. And that was an issue we had last year when we pre-ran, we didn't, we pre-ran what we thought was race pace and race pace was another 20 mile an hour faster than our, you know, what we felt like race pace was. So our notes were a little bit off. So we're like, would normally been like a yellow, which would have been like a moderate, you know, caution area for us was, a, was a red and, uh, so on and so forth. So we, this year we're going to make sure we pre-run even faster at real race pace, you know, instead of what we think race pace is. And this year your pre-run car is much closer in the same machine as your race. Exactly. Car. Last year we went out there with like a, a, a turbo, um, razor which is the same engine as that we the pro xp but the chassis is different they handle different they feel different wheelbase everything everything about them is very very different um and this year we're taking a 22 pro xp out there to pre-run um and the race car is a pro xp also but one of the biggest things for me is is you know steve is very uh very tech savvy to the point where he can get the gopro to record the sound through the comms and match up with the gps and blah 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 and, Randy Dosenbrock is lucky to be able to plug the iPad in with the right charger. You know what, I, you know what I'm saying? I, um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure that they're going to let uh, or Tech will let Randy wear special shoes though, during the race. So you know, uh, it's going to be very different in that aspect. Of Randy has a lot to learn on the GPS side of things, but um, Steve is very, very, very conservative. So. When we would get to a point in the race where there would be a situation that, you know, uh, we should probably winch or maybe we can winch, Steve defaulted to, hey, let's winch so we don't break the car. and Which makes sense because it's an endurance race. You're in survival mode. Exactly right. And if you know Steve Mueller at all, he his finishing results is probably the best of almost any UTV racer that I possibly know. He may not win, but he damn sure is going to finish, you know. And, and those he, points add up. And those points add up. And he's won a lot of championships because he just consistently is, you know, in the top five every single weekend where Randy's going to be like. More did, Cody style. Why didn't you hit that harder? Why you why go, hit that harder? Back up and hit that again, you know. And <laughs> and uh, as that's fun wreck riding uh, in a race atmosphere, that's a, that's a big problem because that will tear the car up. And. I was like telling Steve, sit down, shut up, hang on. We're going over this. And he's like unbuckling, getting out because we're going to winch, you know. And and Randy is going to be the same way I am. Like, I'm not getting out. We can make that, you know, hit it. and uh, Hit it harder. <laughs> that's, that, is my, that is my absolute biggest fear going out there this year is mentally handling the side of it is like Randy is very much like me when it comes to a driver. You don't have a voice of reason. I don't have a voice of reason. And – and maybe I'm letting it play in my head a little bit more than I should, but I'm kind of already preparing myself for like me to be the conservative one. Cause I think Randy's even a little bit more on edge of the rock stuff than I am. And only because Randy's used to wheeling stuff on one tons, 
he doesn't know what a thousand series U joint. You know, like that's all I'm. That's what's holding me and my drive line together. Not you know a a massive. He has he has a bigger U joint in his steering shaft from his <laughs> steering box to his steering wheel. So you know, and and he's not very um, up on like the razors and you know what they can t- what their breaking point is. Where Steve very much knew and um, you know Randy comes from the Jeep world where you can take a turbo to LS and bounce it off the rev limiter and literally bounce up over rocks and not break driveline stuff. And you let a razor hop one time wrong and you're going to explode the prop shaft like I did this past weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, uh, we know last year your goals were finish and have fun. How, how have your goals changed this year and how has your help from, uh, sponsors change this year so my the biggest downfall on help i have going into 22 is that you're not coming along okay <laughs> Call out. i meant sponsor so dozer has opted not to come he has taken a new position within his uh within his career and taken over the family business and unfortunately it's going to keep him home this year but uh th- this year going in you know last year we kind of went out to, to finish and have fun this year i'm going out to to win and have fun i, I really believe that we stand a, a very strong chance of winning our class i think there was at some point in the race we had led our class um, last year, even qualifying where we did, we qualified not so good. And uh, I, I would, I would go. My goal this year is to win class and have a blast while doing it. Um, since we had such good success our first year out there and, and finishing, the sponsor help that's ha- that stepped up to the game this year is is absolutely phenomenal. Highlifter um, as a new sponsor this year. Of course, we have AMS again this year. They even stepped up more. Raceline Wheels has jumped on board. Um, All Balls Racing uh, has jumped on board. And it's it's a whole new level when you have big support like that behind you where you have to go out there and, you know, not only are you now just supporting what you currently have going on, but, you know, these guys are putting their products on your machine and they want a good reputation also. So you're going out there to show everybody what their products can do and they're, they put you in the seat to make it happen and we're going to do it for them, so... And and it's very much appreciated. I mean, even the smallest sponsorship goes a long way because we, it's it's unreal the amount of compounding effect that the distance and the number of people has on the overall cost of the race. Between you and Randy, what did you decide you would have in diesel fuel going out there and back? Just in diesel fuel alone to get out there and back. This year? alone or this this current year this, this coming year yeah this current year that i i have calculated i'm gonna have about forty two hundred dollars in my rv alone um in one vehicle in one vehicle to go out there and back and then steve i think is around three thousand dollars um nate will probably be right around the same ballpark in diesel fuel and then i'm actually uh, taking my shop truck out there and i have it calculated around 26 so we're talking nearly ten thousand dollars in diesel fuel there and back and that's that is no that's not food that's not entry fees that's just to get there and come home let alone the money we spend out there which can get pretty expensive i mean i bought you a 50 dollar pair of socks last year (laughs) because june hit them or something or your dog hid your 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 fireproof racing socks and it's just you just got to be prepared just to spend the money and so when a sponsor comes on with even one set of tires is phenomenal, but AMS they stepped up, yes. Raceline they stepped up. Yeah, AMS we got twenty, you know, twenty tires from AMS this year, ten thousand dollars in product from Highlifter, and you know those are the, those are the big sponsors. Uh, Raceline stepped up, and Raceline did a really cool thing. You know, not only did they give me some product and a, a big discount code, but 
their discount was share it with your team, share it with your friends. And that's, that's pretty important, you know, cause the guys going out there, they've all got vehicles too. And it's neat to be able to pass on, you know, a, a discount to those guys also that are going out there. So hats off to those guys for stepping up to the plate and doing that for us. So awesome. Looking forward so, to it. Uh, we're, uh, we're kind of <laughs> down to crunch time. Um, we, uh, we're, we're getting there and we will uh, hopefully be loaded up and ready to roll out here in a few weeks. So it'll, so it'll here, be, so here's a quick question. How do you feel about, uh, I think they said that qualifying's on Chocolate Thunder this year. After having run Chocolate Thunder last year, what do you, what do you think about that? So they, so they say it's going to go down idle issues and up Chocolate Thunder, which I went up and down idle issues and we pre-run with Polaris. That's actually a pretty fun trail, but I'll be honest with you, qualifying is what I'm the most nervous about, most nervous about and was last year also. I think that's when the tensions were the highest last year was qualifying. Um, Steve thinks it's very important to get a good qualifying spot and it is it very much so is, but it doesn't make or break the race and you can destroy a car in qualifying two days before the race. If you qualify too aggressively, um, I did qualify pretty aggressive last year. It worked out for me. Um, it was a good show and good. The announcers talked highly, highly about it, but, uh, I'll be honest, Jason, I'm, that is the thing. I Once qualifying is over with, uh, my nerves will be eased. It'll Race day won't bother me because race day, there you've got 12 hours to figure that out. Qualifying, you've got two minutes, you know? So, yeah, I remember what was it? Uh, was it Sunday night they had the driver's meeting that they opened up the qualifying course? And I remember sitting out there, and we sat there with a stopwatch, you know, and you picked different lines on the qualifying hill. And I, I think you got to the point the dust was so bad you could barely see you you know, you going up the hill, uh, trying to pick out the right line. I think you were the first guy that picked that line too yeah. on qualifying day. You know, I, uh, I really wish you could qualify in a separate vehicle that you race with. I think that eased my mind with qualifying, but I understand that's not the whole point of, you know, King of the Hammers. They, they want to make it as hard as they can. And Dave Cole has made it a, a very clear this year. He's not happy with how many people are finishing his race. You know, <laughs> he, he wants to see less than 10 people finish and 150 people start. And, you know, the, the odds are going against him just in the fact of tire size and technology and wheel travel and horsepower. You know, these manufacturers are building the machines so much better, so much bigger. Um, the aftermarket companies come into play with, you know, all the, all the great stuff. And they're, they're beating Dave. And Dave is, doesn't want to see that many people finish. And he has made it clear this year is going to be the hardest King of the Hammers to date. Well, a great testament to that is when a side-by-side competitor in the top class of the side-by-sides can finish on whatever Thursday and then come back around on Sunday and enter that same vehicle in the unlimited class of the big show, the 4,400 class and place. Well, that's a huge Testament to the ability of that machine. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's racing against quarter million dollar race cars, you know, um, and, uh, out of the box, you know, know, UTV four digit horsepower levels. Yeah, exactly. You know, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of controversy, whether they should or shouldn't be allowed in that class. And I have my own opinion on that, but unlimited is unlimited. Unlimited is unlimited. Yep. Um, well, I, the only, the only problem I have with that is you're not allowed to nerf big cars aren't allowed to nerf UTVs. And my thing is, is if you're going to play in that class, you're going to get nerfed. You, you, you should be able to get nerfed. Um, I don't think you should, you know, do it on purpose. Monster jam over the top of them and kill somebody. But you know, if you need to scoot someone out of the way, 
or use them as a traction device like you entered in Unlimited. So one thing that I've learned about desert racing and stuff is if you're caught, you're past. And what I mean by that is like in the woods racing that we do here on the East Coast, if someone catches you in the woods, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they're going to pass you or they're faster than you, right? Your because driving ability can hold them off. Exactly. But in the desert, if they catch you, they're past you. And that's kind of a, something I learned last year is, is if, if someone catches you in the desert, just let them around you because they're obviously faster. They, they caught you eating your dust, you know? It's so, like an unwritten rule. Yeah, unwritten rule. And again, speaking of technology, there's a thing called push to pass and you get, you know, so many push to passes. So like there's a, a device in our machine that we can press and it'll notify the vehicle in front of us that, hey, we have caught you. We are behind you. Please get over and let us pass. And most people, most of the time, will do that. You know, and because if if I catch you in the desert, I'm faster than you. Let me around you, and you run your race. I run mine. We got a long race to go. If you start battling and nerfing people out in the desert, kind of side by side battling, you're liable to both tear the cars up and not finish the race. Well, that's the thing is at speed, it's extremely dangerous. Yes, hundred percent. So it let's let's you know. And, and as being a tail gunner on East Coast trails, I can tell you that dust is a huge factor. At 100 miles an hour in the dust, to just be basically blind driving 100 miles an hour and catch a guy is a huge feat. So like you were saying, if if I have the ability to catch you while eating your dust, just go ahead and let me around and then you can catch me in the rocks because, and, and that's a big thing, Polaris to Can-Am, I mean, the Can-Am guys have more power a lot of power on top of what a polaris does and they just have longer legs in in the in the in the long stretches so it's it's kind of one of those things you pick your battles are you gonna wad up two machines at 85 90 mile an hour trying to you know dick swinging contest or are you just gonna let them around and catch them in the rocks where where you can drive around them and that you know that is something that we did last year you know i followed um two canyons through the rocks and i could have passed them many times you know we a, a polaris in the rocks has more ground clearance more travel um they, they outperform them in the rocks for sure and but at that time i didn't want to pass them because they were i had two of them in front of me and I was let one do one line, one do the other one. I was able to watch both vehicles do like the two lines that were there. Take the safest And I could option. always take the safest option. Yeah, and it, uh, it worked out well. I think one thing that we haven't mentioned is that part of the race course is actually across the military base. And that, that uh, King of the Hammers gets special permission to run, you know, a certain route, you know, on race day. And like, you know, for instance, pre-running, you have to have a pre-run flag and you cannot leave the uh the designated uh race course yeah so you know johnson valley does get permission from um what branch is it the marines is it the marines to run their military base in this past year they actually added some new course and uh basically they said if you if it works out well this year we'll give even more next year which is the 22 season coming up here actually 23 because we raced at 22 so 23 and uh they uh they did and this year it's going to be they're talking about the race the desert loop being longer the rock section being tougher so you know going out there with a vision to win is 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 big and uh you know if we finish again i will be absolutely tickled to death and dozer we're deeply going to miss you so if you uh if this has a age you me feel bad may uh change your mind you know uh we would love to have you on the lake bed we would uh make room for one more person for sure it would absolutely. not be a problem 
So this year we're taking out uh, as far as who's going is uh, uh, Randy and Nate. Um, I never, I didn't even meet Nate until we were on the lake bed last year. He's a great friend of Randy's, and I think Sam Mendoza had known him through the jeeping world. And Nate is just an absolute stand-up guy, uh, one of the nicest guys I've ever met, and great friends with him today, and we'll probably be great friends with him forever because uh, he just stepped up out of nowhere and and uh, t- took charge and helped out and. Uh, he enjoyed it, and I'll, I'll tell you the the emotions I felt from Nate when we crossed the finish line. Like he truly enjoyed it, and uh, Nate's just an absolute wonderful person. And Nate's taking his RV out there, so he kind of did an RV thing like me and Sam did with the toter, bought a kind of a project, and he has done a phenomenal job redoing it. Looks beautiful, and uh, he's taking it out there on a kind of a maiden voyage. So hopefully, there's no issues there. And I saw on Facebook he had the uh, one of the windows out of it replacing the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. So in an RV, you know, the refrigerators are so big, they come in through the front window, and he took the, him and uh, Randy took the window out. So <laughs> Nate and Randy will be out there, and then uh, Sam and Dylan and Jason are all flying out there. And then this year I'm bringing a full-time uh, photo and videographer out there with me, Larry, and then also bringing um, Trey. He's one of my metal fabrication guys to kind of – haul Larry around all weekend, all week, I should say, to get as many photos and pictures as we can for the sponsors. And to prove to him that a Honda Talon is not not worth a damn suitable machine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, uh, like you said, so Veronica's not going out there. Veronica's not going. uh, Nate's going to be the crew chief this year. I'm leaving it all up to him. Let him make the decisions on where we're pitting and when we're pitting and how we're fueling and you know, as a as a driver and kind of you could say, you know, team owner, uh, at the end of the day, like you have to punt some of the responsibilities off on your team, and you can't make the decisions of where we're fueling and blah blah blah. So, um, as a team, you got to have a crew chief. You got to have someone that is calling the shots. When you're in the race car and something needs to be done, who is in charge? And uh, this year, it's going to be Nate. Uh, he has proven himself last year to be a, a absolute stand up guy and a leader and. Um, very level-headed, and I think that's important to uh, to have. And Nate knows Randy really well, and uh, Randy's um, kind of driving style. And you know, Sam knows me really well, and I think if if Nate and Sam communicate perfectly, they they'll come up with a great solution every time. And uh, so, so like you were talking about earlier, when you were saying like the the team dynamic is huge, and being having a crew that you can get along with, and I think our team is going to be stronger this year than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, having had the experience from last year and I've witnessed where these big name race teams, their, their, their pit teams are not even remotely on the same level as a bunch of amateurs last year, getting together, just having a good time, like screaming and yelling and throwing and cussing and just throwing a fit about just something random. Now we have done that, which, <laughs> which I'm not going to say we haven't, but at the end of the day, we can all sit down have a meal together and, and, get past our differences and and once you know we may have our disagreements on the strategy portion but when it comes to race day like this guy's in charge it doesn't matter if if he's wrong or not we're doing what he says yeah, you and, know. and getting it done and you know if he makes a wrong call you got to understand that like you know that's that, that's who we, we he made the best decision at his time that he possibly could and you have to roll with it and it'll be all right um i, th- I say i think dozer gave me the uh the best advice that uh last year i think it was after your flat you rolled through rp1 for was was an unscheduled stop we went to go change a spare tire out and of course me i, I was trying to move a mile and then i'm like all right we gotta get this done and those are just like put his hand on my shoulders like hey slow is fast 
so it's like just get it put on there we'll be all right and slow like, is all right. smooth and at that point smooth I, mean, is I just fast. clicked like okay like the more you like you you rush you're gonna forget something but if you like you take a moment pause okay now i've got this let's go you know that's that's exactly right and uh you know something else that talking about kind of team dynamic and stuff that uh I try to make it as enjoyable for everybody that's going along. And, and it's it's a, a week or so in the dust will really test start testing your nerves. And, you know, one thing we're doing different this year is uh, I'm bringing a trailer along, an enclosed trailer along, that we're going to kind of make our meal house. So we're going to have all of our meals out of. And um, honestly, that's what the big race teams do too. They kind of have a, a separate tent area that they, you know, divide to that's where they eat at. And, you know, you work on stuff under the, the pit awning and you eat in the, the food area and, uh, we're kind of stepping it up to the next level this year, and hopefully we go out there with even better success and take home well, a win. Well, that's one thing uh, I've heard multiple people uh, comment uh, to Cody or compliment him is the amount of help he's got. You know, some some people are like, I I had two people come out here with me. I can't, you know, I have people cancel the day they're supposed to leave I have to pay people to come out here and help me. And like Cody's just got all these buddies that just want to be part of it and, and do it. And uh, I don't think a lot of teams have that kind of, uh, that kind of dynamic. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think a lot of it too is, you know, this is an event that we all look forward to for a whole year. It's something we don't stop talking about, you know? Yeah. We'll, we'll take a break from about February till maybe 4th of July. And then it's like, Hey guys, hammers is hammers plan is, again. Hammers is coming up and we kind of plan again. And, you know, Sam has spent some money over this last year on some communication stuff for his razor, making his razor, even a better pit vehicle to be out there. Plus a little bit better to wreck ride and stuff. So, uh, you know, we all enjoy it. And, I try to make it as fun as we can because I know these guys are coming out there. You know, they're, this is my dream to go win this race, but, you know, they want to go out there and just have fun. And you got to make sure they do that. You know, the first year we went out there, we did a lot of work and uh, a little bit of fun. And we kind of changed that around last year and even going to do more this year. So, so do we know anybody else that's racing this year? Is Bad, uh, Badlands guy coming uh, back out? Or? So, funny story. I had thought he was coming out. I actually built them a motor um, at no charge for those guys to go out there and race because of the help and great customers they've been to me over the last couple of years. And that machine showed up at my shop this week uh, with some trouble, so we got that lined out for him. So, I don't know. Um, it was kind of like, oh, here's our race car. It's no hurry. But at the same time, like if they're going to race, it should be a hurry. So uh, I need to get a, reach out to those guys and, and see what they got going on. Um, I had heard kind of very, very last minute actually today, Steve Mueller called me and told me that the new owner of Action Power Sports wants to race it. But I don't know if it's this year, probably mm, next year. Probably. Um, I don't think he kind of knew just exactly what it was. You know, like a lot of people don't understand how big this event is. And, you know, it's a year in planning to, to get there and right. complete it. You know, you're and not then, just going to show up with an enclosed trailer and go racing and think you're going to stay in a hotel because that don't exist. And then the Wolves, obviously, Chaney, obviously. Yeah, the big boys, all the big hitters will be there. As far as people that we're going to know kind of racing on our level is, I, I don't even I don't even know of anyone. That's going out there, you know, so we'll to make some friends this year. You're exactly right. And, you know, for the most <laughs> part, everyone on the lake bed is really um, readily available to help others out. And uh, Shout out to John Flowers. He's Hell yeah. There. I can't wait to see that guy this year. Yeah, dude. He uh, he kind of showed up out of nowhere in, in 20, and he's been a great asset to the team since. You know, he kind of radios, uh, goes to different sections and kind of tells us what's going on. And He found us a welder, I think, one found year. Found us a welder, yep, yep. 
that, that is one thing that's pretty amazing that like if you walk through the pit area anyone and everyone is willing to help you know whoever needs it you know like people walk by i don't know how many people walked by our pit last year and you know if we could help them out we, we were trying to help them out yep, spare exactly. parts exactly. and tools yeah. i think we a- gave a broken axle shaft to a guy because he pieced it together with his and made a let a guy borrow a 70 dollars snap-on socket for the axle nut <laughs> It's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough thing when someone comes and asks you know prior to the race hey do you have an extra tie rod like well you do but if you give it away that's your spare tie rod so you got to kind of watch what you do you know prior to giving away your you know your one and ex- only extra parts but really when it comes down to like race day and when you're through a remote pit if somebody needs something you know the, the team knows that they're willing to help other other teams within a reason and again you know. Uh, I'm pretty excited for Nate to crew chief this year. I think it's, that's going to be a, a really good thing. He'll take it really serious and, and make some super good calls and fueling this year is going to be unique. Um, we could have to, we, there's a really good chance we're going to have to stop and take fuel at all three pits. And that would be the first time ever that that's happened. And I think as across the board of hammers, it's the first time ever they're talking about the one desert loop being like, I think it's like 108 miles alone. The one desert loop. More Dang. more of the unlimited ultra four type. Yes, yes. So, you know, um we do have a Do we have an do, I say do we have an orange cone this year? Do we have to like somehow find one? Nope, I got an orange cone. That's on one of the things that we was bringing from last year that we didn't have. Um but you know one of the things that uh we we have we have an onboard aim device that does tell us our consumption, you know, per mile. So during pre-running, we're going to have to try to pre-run at a little bit of a pace to see what the car is getting fuel mileage to see if we can do the calculation to see where it's going to be. There's a lot of people that run 10 miles across the desert to get fuel, you know? Yeah. We don't want that to be us. And the- what, what was that What was that that, uh, that co-driver last year that put those, like, that jug over his shoulder that, like, because they ran out? They Harry- made him a backpack with ratchet straps, and he carried a five-gallon jug of fuel a long way. Harry Madden, yep. He's one of the most yeah. uh, winningest co-drivers in KOH. You know, guys like... Doing stuff like that is how you become one of the winningest co-drivers. Yep. Guy- guys like Terry get paid big money to <laughs> co-drive for, for people because they're, you know... Harry's in that good of physical shape and he's willing to run across the desert and he lives out there in Johnson Valley. So he knows the place, you know, the back of his hand, he knows the shortcuts across the mountains and things like that. And, uh, and is able to make that kind of hike with fuel when people run out. So anything else we want to touch on about King of the Hammers? Uh, no, just, uh, everyone stay tuned. It is streaming live. Um, February 6th, I believe. Is that the race day for sure? Sixth of the ninth is sticking out of my head. February 9th. I'm looking at a calendar right now. Yep. February, I think February 9th is when the race the, is. The 9th, Thursday. That'd be Thursday the 9th, I think, is UTVs. So it'll stream live, so uh, check us out. Um, I know it's an all-day thing. It's kind of a boring race to watch. Uh, we are uh, bringing out a North Star crew with Heat and AC this year. So when you guys are at RP2 freezing and shivering and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches full of sand, you can hang out in there and listen to some good jams and uh, – Players has been great to us and um, a huge player supporter and, you know, bringing all their products out there this year again. And uh, that new, even trash cans, even their trash cans. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, But see now, now at RP2 this year, we won't have the, uh, the foot race though, because Randy's co-driving. Yep. Randy will be in the passenger seat. So listener feedback portion of this episode, I plan on bringing some podcast equipment out there. We're going to do some recording. I'd like to hear from you guys. What do you want to hear? 
uh, while we're out there, what do you want me to record? Uh, feedback on what you want to know about. Um, I've got a couple different ideas bounced around in my head as far as what we're going to talk about, when we're going to record, how we're going to record, um, how we're going to release it. So if you have something specific that you want to know about while we're out there, um, or would like me to try and schedule some stuff for recording, like I said, I'm going to have the equipment out there and be able to bring you guys some kind of insider information during the race week. Um, I'd be super stoked to get your feedback on that. So my vote on that is, is a daily recording, something short about the day and released right away. So everybody back home can kind of get a play by play what's going on, you know, within a 12 to 24 hour span of, of events happening. So Cody stepped up and got us some, uh, Elon Musk, Starlink. Uh, I call it Skynet just because it reminds me of that, but Starlink internet. So we'll be able to obviously do our work while we're out there hope. playing we hooky. Hope it's going to work. We're hoping. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So Elon, if you're listening, we're counting on you, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I plan on doing like a little recap, maybe at dinner time. Um, I've got four microphones uh, to be able to record some people's kind of feedback for what happened to the day and uh, get a channel set up so where you guys can kind of keep tabs on what the CW race team is up to. So yeah, so it should be good. This year's going to be fun. Dozer, we're looking forward to booking you a plane ticket, man. Right, last, right, right. Last minute, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll just commit to next year. That way you got to do it again. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Hey, I'll tell you on the way home. <laughs> I would, I'd love to go. I really would. I just, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, this didn't feel like it fit in comfortably, but you're sure making me wish I was going to. So it, uh, It'll be a good time. You, uh you should join. I don't think your wife will mind. <laughs> we'll put in a good word. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, we're going to wrap this one up here, but uh, thanks for Jason for being our first call-in guest, and thanks, Cody, for coming and talking about your race program with us. Uh, we hope thanks you guys, for having me, guys. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, please get a hold of us. Give us your opinions on both the race and, and what to record while we're out there. Ask ASK, short story long at gmail.com, or get a hold of us on Facebook. And, uh, again, thanks for joining. Share with somebody who's interested in off-road racing, and maybe we can get some more listeners off of this and see what we can do. So you guys have a good one, and we'll see you on the next one. See you later, you guys. Later. Bye.
Whatever is mine 